Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Hello, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so as, as you saw in the bumper video and then you heard Adam just say, the Bible is this large library of books written and compiled over thousands of years. It's large and intimidating and confusing and can be boring. It's okay to say that in church, I hope. I'm, this might be the last time I ever speak here, but the Bible can be <laughs> confusing, it can be boring, it can be just absurd, and yet somehow this same book is sacred and powerful, and beautiful, and moving. How is this? So we're, we're using these four weeks to do this sweeping overview of the scriptures, and then hitting on foundational components of the Christian faith. So as you mentioned, last week was of. Who are we of? Not just where do we come from, but who are we of? What is our true essence? At the end of the day, the biggest questions you can ask in life is, who is God, and who am I? And the creation poem, this beautiful poem found in Genesis 1, speaks to that. That we are, we are, our core identity is that we are a reflection of the divine. We, we have this, the imprint of the creator on our lives. That is truly who we are at our core. And as he mentioned, it doesn't always feel like that. And that's, that brings us to today's message, Between. So we started with of, and today we're going to talk about between. Looking at this concept of how it feels like there's something standing between me and that core identity. Me and that true identity that we talked about in of. Last week we looked at the creation poem in Genesis 1. And today I'm going to talk about the entirety of the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So the rest of Genesis all the way through the New Testament. So go ahead and get out your phones now and cancel your brunch plans. Because <laughs> this might take a minute. But just real quickly, so Genesis, we find this in the first five books of the Bible, or, or what we refer to as the Torah, the Jewish Torah. We have Genesis, where we see this creation poem. God creating in God's image these people to live in harmony with God and with one another. And then you see later in Genesis, God creates a covenant so this promise relationship with Abraham uh, to, to represent, to form a people to represent God to the world around them. And then we see in the Exodus, and Genesis really is like the origin story, the, the prequel to, to Exodus, where, where, where really the story begins. And in the Exodus, we see the, the nation of Israel living in slavery and God freeing them, God revealing God's self as a liberator who hears the cry of an oppressed people and comes to their rescue. That's the story of the Exodus. And then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are, um, this is where typically when you start the Bible in a year plan, people stop. You, you get, <laughs> I heard it, yeah. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Trust me, I've been there too. This is all about understanding how are we to live in this new identity as a people reflective of God. And then you have the historical books. This is where it's important that when you read these books telling the history of, of the nation of Israel, uh, you, you read them because you see we all have to understand where we came from. 
What is our past? What, what, what are the big questions? What are the struggles? What are the mistakes that others who have come before us made? And this is actually why these books, these stories, can be so powerful because we see themes that uh, while they're an ancient society written by ancient writers, they're very, uh, we can relate to them very clearly, sometimes too clearly. Like you see in these stories, how are we to leverage our power, our position? How are we to steward our resources? And then how do we always do that wrong <laughs> somehow? How do we continue to mess that up as a people? These stories are ancient and actually quite modern. We, we see the nation of Israel's short-sightedness and selfishness. We see God act on their behalf and then immediately forget what he has done for them. And then you say, oh, that sounds familiar. That's why these books are so important, but most important, you see through these books where it's like mistake after mistake, missing the point, missing the plot, God's relentless pursuit all along. And then you've got these poetic books in the, in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. You have these wisdom books, this beautiful language, and some of them are very straightforward, conventional wisdom, like in the Proverbs. But then you also see wisdom books Asking life's hard questions. Why is this happening? Why would God let this happen to me? Where is God? Why have I been abandoned? Because sometimes in our experience, just like in that of we find in the poetic books, sometimes conventional wisdom works and is helpful. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Direct correlation. But then sometimes you get bad news. Or you get a diagnosis, or you get notice from an employer, or, or a relationship is severed, and you wonder what is standing between me and how life ought to be. What is it? Why is there something? Why does there something? It's like a disconnect here between how things are and how they should be. These are this is all here in these stories. And then we've got the prophets. The prophets are like a love them and hate them group of people because the prophet's job was to was to get Israel on track when they were off track and then keep them on track when they were which spoiler doesn't happen all the time it's mostly calling back like oh, come on you've missed it again you've missed it again come back come back the the prophets remind us in these stories who we are of what is our true identity because we need to know where, where we're coming from, where are we heading, and that's grounded in who are we of. But we don't like the prophets. Because the prophets are calling us out of this false identity to our core identity. Living lives of peace, mercy, justice, love, forgiveness, standing up for the voiceless, coming to the side of the, the oppressed, self-sacrifice. These are hard things. They're wonderful concepts we would all affirm, but they're hard to live out in our lives. I joke with our friends, like, following Jesus is really a pain. It's a hassle. It's not easy because there's something that seems to stand between what I want to do, what I know I should do, but what I tend to do on my own free will. The prophets call us out of that. They call us home. They remind us who we're of, that God has promised to use his people to accomplish his will, and we have been invited to get in on that. 
And before we read today's core message and, and dig a little bit more into this concept of between, I want to do a quick recap of last week. So if you weren't here last week, still watch the message, but here's a quick summary. When we talk about of, we start in Genesis 1, this beautiful creation poem. And first side note of probably what are many to come, you never start in Genesis 3. There are Christians out there who start the story in Genesis 3 and have a really dark, twisted, painful, harmful view of God and themselves. Because you see, if Genesis 3, what we oftentimes call the fall, we're going to read it, if we feel like that's our core identity, we are going to have, we have started on the wrong foot. Because then you start to tell yourselves, no, my core identity, who I truly am, is messed up, broken, fallen, distanced from God. That's why one comes before three. Our core identity is, is, is made in the image of the divine, with this fingerprint of, of the creator God on our lives, designed to be an intimate relationship with this indwelling spirit, just meaning we are of God, that is who we are. And, not but, and we realize this reality that, oh, there just seems to be this like nagging sense of, of separation, of distance. Something is between. This, if we go back to the poem, Israel's God, this creator found in Genesis 1, was doing something different. You see the Mesopotamian neighbors that the Israelites would have known of, other ancient cultures, their gods created out of, of fear and anger and violence. This God's creating out of love, an extension of love here on earth. There was something different. This is why we have to stay grounded in the creation poem. This God of love was creating for intimate community and relationship and, and to accomplish a, a kingdom of of goodness and love and shalom, which just means everything in its place, everything in the right place. That's where, we, that's where we are of. Last week, Adam talked about four truths. One, you're made in the image, you're made by God in the image of God. You're made by a community. Remember in the story, it says, let us make man in our image. We're, we're made by a community for life in a community. You were made to thrive in relational vulnerability. And you were made to partner together for the care, to care for creation. So we, we can affirm these truths. We can understand this is our core identity and, not but, and we understand that we experience something like something's keeping me from my true self, from that core identity. Something's maybe keeping me from God, something's off between me and others. This is what we mean when we say between. The creation poem that, that we read goes on, and in chapter 3 we see what we, we oftentimes call the fall. And it's going to be on the screens, I'm going to read it as well, but if you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture? And then I'll pray for us for the rest of this uh, time together, and then you can have a seat. It says this, and I'm going to read the message translation, so it might sound a little bit different um, if you're not used to the message translation, but it says this. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, 
Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees of the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, do not eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked good for eating and realized she would, uh, what she would get out of it, she knew everything. She took and ate the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. We're going to fast forward to verse 23. So God expelled them from the garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they had been made. He threw them out of the garden and stationed angel cherubim in a revolving sword of fire to the east of it, guarding the path to the tree of life. God, as we take some time this morning to return to you, to, to refocus on you, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts to what you may have to say to us? Whether it be through the words of this, these ancient books and poems and letters or, or, or your spirit speaking something fresh even now, would we have ears to hear it? This morning as you call us home, as you call us back to you, would you give us the audacity to take the next right step in whatever it is we have on our journey? Would we choose, would you give us the, the courage to choose to take one step towards you? And would we meet you immediately in that step? Because we know you are there waiting for us. You are here now speaking to us. Lord, have your way, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. So we see God created mankind to live in community, to thrive in vulnerability, to create alongside the creator. But now, in this part of the story, mankind is, is taking from the garden, is using the garden to cover themselves, to hide from God in shame. Something foundationally has shifted here. Said plainly, the humans... In the garden, the man and the woman had rebelled against God's design, against God's plan. And I talked about shalom, meaning everything as it should be. When you read this story, it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. This is shalom, shalom. Everything is where it should be. Everything in its place. Everything working in perfect harmony. But in this act, they've rebelled against that. They've broken shalom. This is a, a concept of, we hear the word sin a lot. One, one helpful concept to explain or understand sin that I've come across is, is breaking shalom. If you are operating against how God has intended you to live, you're, you're breaking his plan. You're breaking shalom. And the result of that is that they were kicked out of the garden. This, this perfect experience 
with intimate relationship with the creator where they were called to create. They were, they were removed. And they, it says they were sent to the east of the garden. And this is important because the east is a, is a metaphor for moving away from God. You see this throughout the Hebrew scriptures. When it, when it talks about a person or a character moving east, it tends to be um, representative of moving away from God. Because when we break shalom, when we, when we rebel against what God has for us, we are moving away from God. Through the rest of the story in Genesis, things go from bad to far worse. We see humanity devolve further, and, and even as God continues to pursue mankind, they continue to run from, and then you see ultimately in the, the story of the Exodus, they, they have found themselves enslaved, living in oppression under Pharaoh in Egypt. This, this gets us to Exodus. Okay, so Genesis, check, down. Now Exodus. <laughs> Exodus, we see a God who, who hears the cry of his people, who, who is revealed as a liberator, somebody who frees. This is, God is a God of the, the underdog. This is God still pursuing the people who have gone astray, who have rebelled, who have ran from, who refuse to listen, who have made a mess of things, but they are still God's people. And God pursues God's people. He hears and he rescues. This is the story of the Exodus. And then towards the end of the story of the Exodus, of the book of Exodus, we see the Ten Commandments. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. We're not going to review them all today. I want to simply review the opening of the Ten Commandments. This is what God says. It says, God spoke all these words, I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. And then he goes on to explain the Ten Commandments, or to give the Ten Commandments, which are, are guidance or, or a framework for how to live this new, brand new identity as a post-slavery people. What does it mean to be free? When I've been living in slavery, under oppression, how do I behave now as a free person? How do I interact with this God who has rescued me? We often misunderstand or misread the Ten Commandments as like a to-do list or, or a must-do or must-don't list. But it's actually, it's a guide. It's, it's a framework for how to live in relationship with one another, in relationship with God. And in fact, so much so, Jewish scholars point out the fact that the, the delivery of the Ten Commandments mirrors exactly a Jewish wedding ceremony. The people go to Mount Sinai, and it's as, if you read it, it's as if a Jewish wedding ceremony is occurring between God and the nation of Israel. This was not a to-do list. This was God inviting these people into an intimate covenant relationship. A promise is being made. And these are the terms of the promise. Not in a, a, a like a do this or I'm, I'm out kind of way. But in a here is what it means to live an intimate relationship and community. But of course, the people don't just magically say like, oh, that makes sense. We'll do that. Ten rules, easy enough, easy peasy, away we go. No, they basically immediately screw it up, <laughs> which is the theme 
over and over and over. They immediately screw it up. See, Israel knew their true identity. The Ten Commandments reminded them, who is God? This is the God who freed you. This is the God who brought you out of Egypt, who has a plan for you, who will, who will be with you, whose presence will dwell among you. They knew their true identity. They entered into this covenant with God, and they had this framework for how do we make sense of it? How do we live this out? It, it, and in fact, God created a tabernacle. So he delivers the Ten Commandments, and it says, listen, there's going to be this, this dwelling place, this tent, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to live among you, physically among you, because I'm with you, and I'm for you. And they still can't quite figure it out. But with this physical presence of God in the camp or among the nation, we also then kind of step into Leviticus, which is everyone's favorite book of the Bible. <laughs> Leviticus is this interesting, confusing, brutal, violent, archaic, very bloody system of sacrifices. This is Leviticus. Leviticus is all about the sacrificial system. Much like we misread the Ten Commandments as this like uh, impossible to-do list, or actually you read it as like, a, okay, I could handle that. Like what in the world is their problem? Like none of these seem too far-fetched. But then you realize you can't actually <laughs> practice. Then we see this sacrificial system. We, we oftentimes misunderstand this as like a, I don't know what was going on then, but none of this makes any sense. But we fail to see the intent of the system. We fail to understand the context of the system. You see, the sacrificial system was all about this God drawing people to God, drawing people back to God. Because if you read the in and among all of the very precise rules and, and regulations, in order to make a sacrifice, you have to come to God. It's as if God is reminding them, like, yeah, I know you feel separate from me. I know you understand, like, in your bones, like, there's, some, there's something going on here. And I know that you, like, look around. Maybe not you, but your neighbor. You're all making a mess of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw you near. I want you to come to me. And I want you to bring something. Because when, when we break shalom, it comes with a cost. And we've got skin in the game. We have culpability here. So God's saying, I want you to own your peace. Not because you need to be scared, because I want you to come near. I want you to come, come back to me with an understanding of, of what this means to live in relationship. When you mess things up, you got to own your part. But I want you to come and experience my forgiveness. See, it, it, when at, at first blush, or at, at first read, or until you really kind of start to understand these codes and rules, it can look very uh, just bloody and scary. But this is God practicing, having these people practice drawing near to acknowledge when they've broken shalom and experiencing God restoring the relationship. Experience God's covering forgiveness. And see, these routines, 
As you read this, they were, they were routines. They were good, healthy rhythms and routines. It was this beautiful purpose and intent and context. But what happened is they were just routines. And if a routine doesn't change us internally, then we're never going to change the way we behave externally. If we don't allow ourselves to understand what's really going on here, that I'm being called home, that I'm being covered, and I'm being forgiven. If it's just that I killed a pigeon or a goat or whatever, and here I am, and so like, now I can go, I, I can like live with a clear conscience until, you know, next Tuesday when I do something wrong to my neighbor. Like, we're never going to change our behavioral patterns because we haven't understood this is to bring me home to my core identity. This is why the prophet Isaiah, remember prophets call us home. They, call us, they, they remind us, who are we of? They also remind us we're acting out of the between. We're not behaving the way we ought to behave. We're not acting like we represent God, the creator of the universe. Isaiah says this in uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read a, a handful of verses. He says this, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of your burnt offerings, of ram and of the fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of the bulls and the lambs and the goats. Mind you, these were commandments. You had to do this. And God's like, nah, don't want them. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incest is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. This is the system that was set up to remind them, come back to a good, loving, forgiving God. And he's saying these are worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. God's not playing here. <laughs> They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Because there is times that we can go through the motions, we can do the things, we can even do the right things. But when we don't allow God to remind us, to bring us home to our core identity, then we don't change the way we behave. That's what he's saying. You're doing all these things and your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Because they were doing the, 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 the things they were supposed to be doing, but it wasn't changing the way they behaved outside of it. They continued to do wrong. He says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Does that sound familiar? I am a God who brought you justice. I was a God who saw you when you were oppressed, and now you're going to ignore those around you in that same experience? You've missed it. Why? Because they didn't understand who is God and who am I? If God is a good God who hears the cry of the oppressed and who acts in justice and I reflect the divine, then I am someone who hears the cry of the oppressed. I am someone who pursues justice. That is what it means and that is what they were not doing. He says, take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
Reflect me around you. Live in the way I've intended you to live. These routines, these rhythms, they can be good and healthy, but if we do not allow it to change our heart, we will not live the way we are designed to live. This is sin. This is breaking shalom. This is missing the mark. Another phrase, a uh, helpful phrase to explain sin that I, I like, this is a, a kind of a common orthodox understanding of sin, is missing the mark. And it, it, it like, think about the visual of shooting a bow and arrow on a target. You shoot shots and sometimes you miss. And so what do you do? You don't pack up your, whatever it's called, bow. <laughs> you shoot again, you keep going. But see, we understand this just as, as we see in Leviticus and throughout the, the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. We understand this personally and communally. We know the reality of evil and sin because we know it in our hearts. We know our capability and culpability of existing in systems, perpetuating systems, and then because it exists in systems, we understand it communally. See, I think as like Western American Christians, one of the things we most misunderstand about the Hebrew scriptures is that these covenants were made with the nation of Israel. God entered into a covenant with a people. These sacrificial systems were us coming together as a community saying, we have failed to live in our true identity. We confess that we've missed the mark. We understand that with one another, we have broken shalom, the way things ought to be. So we come together to the tabernacle, to the temple, because we understand God wants to cover us, forgive us, redeem us, restore us, renew us, because this is all about restoring relationship. You see, if you start in Genesis 3, you have to earn everything. If you start in Genesis 1, it's returning home. It's coming back to who we truly are. When we do these acts, these rhythms, these routines, with the goal of restoring relationship, this is when we can experience God's fullness that he intends for us. This is the point of the sacrificial system. This is the point of the covenants. This is the point of the prophets. In Genesis, we see the man and the woman moving east away from God. They broke shalom. They missed the point. They tried to do things on their own terms, in their own way, under their own power. They moved away from God. And the rest of the story is God asking them to turn around and come back. To turn around and come back. Because if this is what it is, is to move away from God, then we only need to understand, to remind, what is my core identity? And I have the ability to turn around. Whether it's in a small moment or a huge moment. God was chasing his people from the garden to the tabernacle to the temple, through kings, through prophets. It was like, oh, well, you're so dense, you didn't get that one. Let's try another. <laughs> nope, still no? Okay, let's send a prophet. Oh, you hate prophets. King? I don't actually even want to give you a king, but you want to. Here we go. Let's give it a whirl. Like, God is relentlessly pursuing to call home. As we pray, I want to read 
this uh, quote from a Franciscan priest, uh, Richard Rohr. He says this, the Holy Spirit is never created by our actions or, beha- or behavior. You cannot earn God's love. It is a natural indwelling, our inner being with God, our, our core, our true identity. In Catholic theology, we call the Holy Spirit uncreated grace. Culture and even religion often teach us to live out of our false self, reputation, self-image, role, possessions, money, appearance, and so on. Only as this fails us, and it always eventually does, will the Holy Spirit within us stand revealed and ready to guide us. We are made by God in the image of God. And we exist in this experience that something is standing between that. So oftentimes what we do is we just begin to live for ourselves, by ourselves. And that will fail us, always, eventually. Those are the moments when the Spirit in us, this creative life force that that animates our very being, is there, ready to be revealed and ready to guide us, or as I would say, ready to call us home. If we're going to be a transformed people, by God's Spirit, we have to be paying attention. We have to be intentional. Where am I living in this false self, for myself, trying to make it in my own way? We have to be paying attention. Where is God active? Where is he moving? What's he speaking to me? Where is this uncreated grace ready to be revealed in my life. Where am I turning from it? Because if I'm turning from it, I simply need to turn around. And he's there. This is where we begin to see where I've missed the mark, where I've broken the way God has designed things to be. This is where I open myself up to receive his grace, forgiveness, his covering over my life. This is how I come home. So as we, as we really close now, <laughs> I want to look at this practice. St. Ignatius created this, this spiritual discipline called the examine. And it's really easy. There's going to be the steps on the screen if you want to take a picture, or you may already know, or you just Google the examine. But the first is we ask God for his light. We ask God for his presence and revelation in our lives. Typically, people do this practice at the end of the day, at night before bed, Uh, or in the morning, you can do it first thing in the morning to reflect on the day before. We ask for God's light, his presence. And you could also, you could say it reminding yourself of God's presence because God is always present. And then we review the day with gratitude. What happened? Kind of a sweeping review of my day. What happened today? And then you want to pay attention to big emotions. Where did I have high highs or low lows or something really caught me sideways? And then you get to ask yourself, oh, what was going on there? Was that me trying to live into this like ego, appearance, false self? Maybe it was a, this beautiful moment of love and joy that oftentimes we neglect to reflect on. That we don't give ourselves the opportunity 
to pay attention to. Either way, though, we can pray through one of those moments. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for showing up when I felt abandoned, alone, when I was confused, when I was scared, when I was acting out of this sense that I have to figure it out. Thank you for breaking through that wall in that moment. Or God, I, I see, I see in that moment that I was trying to do things my own way. I was being hard-headed because I care so much about what that person thinks of me or what might be said about me. Or, or I could see myself grasping for control in a situation where I didn't think I had control. I'm, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. I know that's not your plan for me. That's, that's a, I'm not trusting you in that moment. Reveal yourself to me. Cover me. Guide me. And then the last step is to prepare your heart for tomorrow. God, I see where I messed it up. I see where I missed the mark. Tomorrow, would I experience your presence so intently? Would your spirit prompt in me when something like that begins to occur? Would you check me so I can trust, rely on you, receive your, your, your presence and grace in my life? God, would you, would you show to me where, where you're showing up in my life? An interaction with a loved one. Grace, peace, peace in the midst of something scary. Would you, would you help me see it tomorrow? This is a way we start to pay attention to God showing up over and over and over in our lives. This is the way we start paying attention to the way we continue to try to act out of and for ourselves over and over and over. And, and it allows us to continually come home Continually come home. Continually come home. That's how we experience God's transforming grace and love and presence in our lives. One simple practice that can change your heart. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this ancient book, collection of books, this ancient library of books. is As crazy as it is sometimes and confusing and all the things. It's still, you still use it to speak to our hearts. We still have something to learn. We still have so much to learn. Would you help us remember that you're continually calling to us? You're continually speaking to us. Would we hear you? Would we open ourselves to your presence and your grace and your love? Would you transform our hearts? Would you, would you give us that courage to take a step today, this morning, to return home. If we're walking from you, would you help us see all we need to do is turn around? If we've missed the mark one or a thousand or a million times, would you steady our hands as we try to follow after you every day, with every breath, in every moment? Would you soak us in your grace and your forgiveness? Would you cover us so that we could live out of this core identity of a people created by the divine with an imprint of the divine to be reflections of you in our families, our workplaces, our communities. God, would you call us home so we could live out of that love and grace every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. 
find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.